yeah, I got the good news. I can put a little weight on my foot on my right side now. So that's awesome. Feeling really good. It's good to be back. It's really cool. I was back there with Mark um, by the sound booth and y'all were singing um, the last few words to that song. And it was so cool because everybody was singing. You could, you know, facing this way, we could still hear it. And it was just cool. My eyes are on him. That was really awesome. Um, I just, you know, as I get started, I want to say just a huge thank you to everyone who you know, prayed for me and for the church and everything. I went through this whole broken femur thing. And um, so uh, it was pretty much of an ordeal. Claire's kind of funny. She's saying, well, oh, yeah, in the first three weeks, I don't remember much. And I'm blaming it on the drugs and not my age. But um, she said, uh, oh, yeah, so-and-so came to see you. And I'm like, huh, I I don't know. (laughs) And then she'd tell me what happened, and I'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I remember that. These little glimpses of reality for that first three weeks, but that's all gone now, uh, fortunately. Yeah, people have stories, probably on me. One of the guys, I don't know if you know Steve Ryan. Steve here? Are you here somewhere, Steve? Steve Ryan's one of the, uh, there are a lot of characters in Crested Butte, but let's put Steve in the midst of that crowd, okay? He, uh, He is a funny guy, and so he came to my house Soon after, I was, in fact, I slept through a lot of his visit, I know, because I remember, I remember him being there, I remember coming back and forth, and uh, he, he said uh, that he went by uh, Big Al's to get me a little something, um, the bike shop, he got me some training wheels, <laughs> so he said it was pretty funny, he went in, he said, hey, I need to get some training wheels, and they're like, what for, and I, was, I just need training wheels, well, what do you want to put it on, I just need some training wheels, so... I don't think these are going to bolt onto my carbon bike, uh, <clears throat> but I bet Claire will try to get that to happen. <clears throat> we'll see. Uh, anyway, we're getting ready to start a new series, and we're starting it today. Uh, we're calling it Equipped, which you can see up there and on the bulletins that you guys have. And uh, we're looking at the book of Ephesians for the next several weeks. And if the Ephesians is a book uh, written to a people who are in a community where, where it seems like everything, they're swimming upstream. Everything is against them, the culture, society, the world. The, in the city of Ephesus, where Paul had planted churches that he's writing to, uh, there were 50 temples to other gods, uh, in particular one that's still famous today, the, the, the temple for Artemis. And uh, so it was a very religious place that they lived. Oh, now, are you going to sit here? Because now you're going to be the one that I, if I fall, it's you. Yeah. Okay. She said she does CrossFit. So uh, we'll test. I'll definitely go that way and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, She's got guns. Yeah, I know. Um, so, so Paul's talking to these people, and he's trying to encourage them in the space. And I've, I've often thought, which one of the letters in the New Testament is the one that in our little town of Crested Butte, and if you're here, I know there's some of you that are probably never going to come back that are visiting for the wedding, but many of you uh, who love this place, you know the, the culture that I'm talking about. A lot of times, if you're a believer here, you feel like you're swimming upstream. And, in, of course, in our, in our nation as well. But... Um, I think if Ephesians is a good book for us, for people that love and live in Crested Butte or spend time here, because it's this great encouragement 
to, um, to know who we are and have confidence in who Jesus is for us and who we are in him. And then that's like the first half of the book. And the second half is telling us how to live practically in the communities that we're in. And I don't know if you've noticed, but Crested Butte, even though it may not uh, seem like it is a very religious place, people here have a lot of beliefs and we, we put them all together here and we mix them all up and you'll find all kinds of different hybrid beliefs in our town. But uh, uh, it's a very religious place and I think that's what Ephesus was. It was a religious place. And so many of you come from places like that. And so maybe you can take this to, to where you are. But Paul is going to give this incredible encouragement. And, and what I want to do, this is the main thing that I want to say, I hope that you'll come away with, is, is this simple thing. Is, is just having a glimpse, just catching a glimpse from the scripture that we're going to read of the blessing it is to know Jesus. If you can just, you can just stop listening to me and read Ephesians. It doesn't matter. If you could just come away with a glimpse of the incredible beauty and value and truth and, and, and gloriousness that it is to know Jesus. That's what I want you to come away with. And of course, you'll be able to really think about that uh, personally when we have communion at the end of the service. Uh, so let's look at this. Um, I, I guess I, I should, I want to say just starting out that, that Paul is, he, when he jumps into his, this book, this letter he's writing, he is like all on. And you know, if you've read much of Paul, he is, he can do that. And the words are just, you know, flying out. And it's kind of like, uh, he, I don't know that I have the maturity to take in the things that he's saying. This is deep stuff, and it's just packed. It's just crammed in there. It's almost like he's the guard on the basketball team, and he throws you this incredible alley-oop, but you're still at half court, you know, and you've got to get there. And you're like, and you, it's just perfect, but it's just an amazing, it's, it's something that uh, is hard for us to grasp, hard for us to get a hold of, but I hope that you will get a little piece of the, the goodness of knowing Jesus from this. So uh, Ephesians 1, right at the beginning, and we're going to start at 1 through 6. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, all the faithful that are there in Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of Jesus who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Okay. There's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> so... We're going to focus on three through six. And I got three points. And I'm, I'm hoping that you can forgive me for being too poetic on these. I, I feel a little goofy with these. But um, the first point is, is the idea of a bright morning light. The second is the fog rolling in. And the second is the clarity of the horizon. Okay? So bright morning light, fog rolling in, and, the, and then a clarity of the horizon. So we're going to start with this bright morning light. And the reason that I bring that up, in fact, this morning was a pretty good example. If you were up early, <laughs> it was awesome. You know, and there was, there was an inversion coming down over the mountains. It was just uh, beautiful. And then it got cloudy at my house. It just socked in. I couldn't see the mountain. And then it rained really hard. And, of course, now we're 
we're back to the sun. So we're starting at the beginning. If you're like me, and you're, whenever you're here in Crested Butte, there's always some place in the morning you go look out and see the mountains, and you're like, oh, okay, yes. You know, I'm in a great mood now. It's the bluebird sky, and it's beautiful. That's this bright morning light, and I think that's where Paul's coming from. You know, when it, when it hits you, when that sun comes over from the east, and you're like, you know, blinds you, this is the kind of feeling I have uh, kind of drinking from the fire hose of the beauty of what Paul's trying to say. So he says, um, this is verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He makes this huge statement. He says, first, that we should bless God. Bless, the word bless comes through this passage several different times. So if you're studying it, you, you might notice that. But what he's trying to do is first point us to God and say, bless him. And, and blessing in that language meant to lift up, to, to set above other things and to see him for who he is. So, so put God up on this high level. And then he says, he's given us every spiritual blessing in the highest places. In other words, he's given us the best things. We all know that tangible earthly things, money and stuff, mean nothing in the end, right? And we're all, we seek after those things and suddenly they're completely empty. It's the spiritual things, the deep things, the the permanent things that matter. And he says, these are the things that God has given us in full. If we're followers of Jesus, he has given these things to us in full. But he says, it's not just in full in an earthly sense. At the heaven, he says, in the heavenly realms, in the ESV, I think. The heavenly places. In other words, to the sky, like infinity, right? You can't get over the top of this. This is the best blessing that we have. So he's starting out just saying what an incredible blessing it is to know and have this relationship with God. But then he he talks a little bit more about what that blessing looks like in verse 4. In that he says that he chose us, that God chose us. For uh, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now being chosen is a struggle for some of us. All of you are really bright people. It's just who you are. And so you wrestle intellectually with your spiritual the truth that God gives us. All right, so being chosen is something that when we think about it more and more, we struggle with, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But hold with me for a second, because remember, Paul is so excited about this. I think he'd be devastated if we were confused, right? He's saying, this is the best thing ever. This is a home run. This is a slam dunk. This is, the, this is to the heavens. This is so good. So let's stay in that space for just a minute, to be chosen, uh, some of you may remember this. I, I do, fairly tangibly. In the great wisdom of some of our elementary and middle school coaches, they would pick out the two biggest jocks in the class, and then they would send the rest of the class up on the bleachers, and then the two jocks would pick everybody that they wanted on their team. Wasn't that awesome? <laughs> if you're one of those jocks, I apologize if I'm making it hard on you. Uh, but you, you remember that feeling, perhaps, when you're sitting there and the person who's picking is looking over the crowd and they look right at you and make eye contact and go right on by <laughs> because someone else is better at crab soccer. 
okay, thanks coach, you know, for setting me up for this, you know, horrible feeling about myself to be rejected like 27 times, <laughs> perhaps, you know, because there's 40 people in the class or the, you know, I don't know who invented that. Uh, but this choosing is nothing like that. That is totally based on the perception of who can do the very best thing for the person on the court, right? This has the choosing of God for you, if you are a believer, has nothing to do with your performance. Nothing. I mean, it says he chose us, and we'll talk about this in a minute, before, before time. You weren't able to perform. Uh, Deuteronomy 7.7, 7, we bring our faith comes from the Jewish faith, and God's speaking to them. He's talking about his choosing of them. In 7.7 7 there he says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that I or the Lord set his love on, uh, that the Lord set his love on. Okay, I, I'm going to start needing my glasses. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set, his, Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. And later he's going to say you were stiff-necked and rebellious. Right? God doesn't choose because of what we can do for him. And, and later in our passage, he'll said, say because it was his will. By his will, he chooses. It's not because you're good enough. And that, it's not because you... Um, it's not because you were lovable enough or could perform. And what that should tell us, I think, and this is one of the most powerful truths, I think, in this passage, is that we have the ability to have a confidence... In that it's not it does it, nothing about our relationship or being chosen is because of what we do, that we have confidence in that, and this is the spiritual truth that Paul is trying to say right at the beginning. The best thing you can know is that you have you have been chosen. Similar to a, like a real friendship, you know when you have a real friendship, and you don't have to be perfect, and you know you can say to somebody, "I have this friend." And that person loves me, and I can be imperfect. They know everything about me. We've been friends for years, but they still love me. I can really mess up, and they still love me. Right? That's just a little bit of a model of what it is to be in this relationship with God, that confidence. Okay, so that's the, that's the first thing that I wanted to, to set out before you, this, this bright sun that Paul wants us to see. Just bam, this is the truth right here. Now, because we are uh, intellectual, smart, educated, Western people, we start to question the gift. And it gets obscured, like, like this morning when the fog came in. Look at verse 5. He predestined us. I know for some of you that word just riles up all kinds of things in you. He chose us, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus according to the purpose of his will. And so we start asking questions like of ourselves or others. Well, um, you know, what about other people? Am I, why should just I be chosen? Are there people that are chosen against? Okay. That, that's hard because what's happening, you know, in the, in the world. 
Um, what happened to my choice, right? Because we're from America, America. We have the freedom to choose, and we also see that in the Scripture. He does tell us we choose. There is some combination of what God is doing and choosing and our ability to decide. And it's hard to understand. The last thing that I want to do coming to a passage like this for any of you is to dismiss your questions or to say, oh, no, here's the easy answer. Don't you love that when some Christian gives you the easy answer? You know, are you are with a friend who's a non-believer and they're talking and then the, non, and the Christian guy or girl says, oh, it's real easy. You know, just believe this. Okay, we're, we're not doing that. I mean, if you just look at Psalms for a minute, all you're gonna, you're gonna see throughout the whole thing, the people of God questioning him. God is okay with being questioned, being questioned with not being understood. That's okay. It's okay to be angry with God. We see it in the scripture. It's okay to struggle with these things. So I, I don't want to set aside or dismiss any question at all. I want you to just face those things head on. And I just want to, at the same time, give you a little encouragement in that from the point of view of Paul. It's okay to struggle with this. I think Paul would probably see this as if uh, he gave us a gift at, at Christmas or something. And we got this beautifully wrapped gift. And we unwrapped and there was a beautiful box inside. And we got that out and we opened that up and there was this incredible and very complicated, beautiful thing inside. And we got it out. And we, everybody was all ooing and aahing over and we're looking at this thing. And then we're like, wow, I wonder how it works. I don't understand how it works. So we take it apart. And we take it apart and this is what sadly theologians do. They take it all, we take it all apart and we can't put it back together. We can see some of the pieces, but we can't get it back together. And then we start arguing with our family about how it goes together and which part goes where. Denominations, the ring a bell, over something that was supposed to be an amazing gift. So now for us, it's all spread out on the floor and we need to get back to the, to the beauty that it was when we first heard about it. And Paul wants us to see. But I know that's a hard thing to do. I know it's hard. I don't want to uh, minimize any of that. There are things that we aren't going to understand. Can we agree on there are some things you don't understand? Is it possible that you don't understand some things God is doing? Maybe, just maybe, you, we don't know for sure. It's kind of funny when I have to scoot over because I have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, we think we should be able to understand everything God is doing, yet we don't understand everything that people around us are doing. I mean, it just doesn't make sense that we would think we would know exactly the deepest things that God is doing. I'm not saying that as an excuse. I'm not trying to get out of wrestling with it. But we, part of the wrestling with the question is to say, there, we are talking about God and we need to let him be God. Back in Deuteronomy in verse 20, he says, there are secret things. Deuteronomy 20, 29. Do we have that up there? Um, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. I'm just saying right there to the Hebrew people, and we should take that too. There, is, there are some things that we just aren't going to understand. That doesn't mean they're not beautiful. In fact, I think it's some of the most beautiful 
beautiful things that we don't understand. If you think about that for a little bit. We just uh, finished a series in the spring where we were looking at, we called it uh, Running with Giants. We were talking about some of the big people, men and women in the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scripture. And I had never preached through something like that. And in the process, there's something that jumped out to me about every story. And it's this. Each of the situations, each of the struggles that we looked at for the people who were, that were these giants of our faith, each one of them was wrestling with trusting God. That was the crux of the problem. Can I trust God to be faithful to meet my need? And the more I've thought about the reality that has really sunk in with me personally, because there's something I want, something I think should happen, some way the world should be, or my life should be, or I should get, or whatever. And then God said, I'm going to meet your need. It's through the scripture, right? It's throughout. I love you enough to bless you in the long run the way I know you need to be blessed. So I have to say, do I trust him? I mean, think about, you can think about any of the big characters of the Old Testament, but Daniel's the one that comes to mind for me. Here's a guy who's taken from his family. He's castrated and put into the service of the king, right? When he's a young man. That's not a real pleasant thing. God, where are you? Can I trust you to meet my need? And continually, in the face of danger, he chooses, even life-threatening danger, to trust God. He's a great example. He's a hero of that. But the, the problem is, do I trust God? Do I, and, and I think this is a situation where we have to sit down with God, with the word, and say, do I trust you with these things that I can't understand? I met my friend, Bradley's here somewhere. I know I saw her. I don't know if she's with her kids or not, but Bradley's a, a young woman in our community. And I saw her uh, actually at the coffee shop when I was working on this message and she had taken Drew, last week our, our pastor Drew had said, uh, hey, try reading Ephesians through a couple times. And so she did. And she came and she said, she, we were talking, and she said, yeah, I did that. It was so cool. And it's so exciting at the beginning. She doesn't know I'm working on my message. She goes, it's so exciting to see how thrilled Paul was about what he wanted to say. How incredible this thing is to know Jesus. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to write that down. Let's try, <laughs> try. That's the main point. Thank you. What else can you tell me? <clears throat> in, in the, we were sitting in the, in the coffee shop, and the, it was that day, it was Friday, I think, and the clouds just socked in everything. You couldn't see the mountains. You couldn't see the beauty. But if you know, there, you know it's there. It's just hidden. It's blocked out. And, and I, felt, I feel like that's where we get with this idea of being chosen or predestined. It's really hard, and it blocks out the beauty. That doesn't mean the beauty isn't there. Okay, one, one, more, uh, one more thing. The, the lifting of the fog, the clearing, if you will, the end. Uh, let's start at verse 5 of Ephesians 1. He predestined us as, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Jesus well, being chosen is good, but there's more, he says. We've been made sons. Do you see that at the beginning of verse 5? We've been adopted as sons. And you know, one of the best things 
that you could, one of the greatest uh, social constructions that they had was to be, was to understand sonship in that time. And if you've been in church at all, you've probably heard that, right? But what's so cool is Paul is using the word us. And that word us is everyone, okay? Men and women, children, invalids, everyone, us. And so when everyone is called, is chosen, brought into that place of relationship with him, then we become sons. We have the rights of sons. It doesn't mean you're not, you, you lose your femininity. It just means we now have those rights, which in that culture was huge. And for, the, for Paul to say that everyone in that culture was elevated to sonship was offensive. It sounds great to us, doesn't it? Not to them, not to the general culture. It's a pretty amazing thing that Paul makes sure to bring everyone into that sonship authority place, that relationship. All of us are counted as sons. And he says we're adopted. We're brought into the family. This is something that continually comes up in the scripture. And I know uh, Palmer, she downstairs now, she's talking about this fostering situation, which isn't quite adoption. So I I have an adopted sister, and I didn't have a choice in that. And she was adopted by my parents when I was a little kid, she is as if blood to me. There's no question about it. We share the same last name. She is adopted. She is in my family. I am her brother. No question. This is the, the thing that God is communicating through Paul. You are adopted as sons. And that is a good thing, and it should give us confidence in our faith, in our place before God. We're not just whatever. We're something very, very special. And I think it's important to note that adoption is available to everyone. Do you know the scripture says that Jesus' blood covers all sin for all time? Now, how choosing or a predestination works for people who are outside or haven't heard or anything like that, I cannot explain. But we know that Jesus' blood is enough to cover it all. In other words, his sacrifice, the thing that he did, is enough to cover it all. And that should give us great comfort when we're wrestling with this. How God does it, I don't know. What he does exactly, I don't know. However, what Jesus did was big enough. And that's the thing that we come to. And he says something that's easy to skip over in verse 5. He says that we were, uh, he uses the word through Jesus. Let me find where that is. He, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus. And in that one word, he compresses the whole story of the gospel. That God created us and made us right in relationship with him. We broke that and from the beginning, he has been striving and doing everything at all costs to bring us back into relationship with him through Jesus. That is an amazingly important thing that's just said in one little tiny word, through Jesus. Well, let let me wrap up by... Um, sharing something that Claire said to me a few times. Every now and then we'll be talking, she'll say, you know what, it, what amazes me is that all of this beautiful creation that we're in, that y'all are going to walk out into in just a few minutes, this creation, the sky, the mountains, the trees, the grass, the animals, everything, all of these things do what they were made to do. That's what they do. We are the thing, the creation, the pinnacle of creation, which does what it was not meant to do. For some reason, God gave us that ability 
but we still, and we use it to choose against him. We struggle to deeply trust him as if we were the simple creation that does what it was meant to do, which is what Paul says at the very end of this passage, bring glory to God. And in bringing glory to God, he blesses us. It's this huge, incredible circle that Paul said in these first few verses. Jesus has made a way back to God for us. Not because we merited it, because he chose us and did everything to make us right with him. And that's the thing we're going to celebrate right now. Lisa, if you want to come up, um, and I'm just going to let you take it from here. 